So tonight we're talking about priorities for ministry or priorities for your ministry. If you can turn in your Bibles or your notes there to 1 Timothy 4, we're going to look at five little verses that are just loaded for bear. These verses are amazing. Verses 12 through 16, the rest of chapter 4. Keep in mind, Paul has been relating to this younger man, Timothy, probably since he was a teenager. Uh, he even, as a rabbi, circumcised him. So, I mean, they had, they had a close relationship. And so Timothy, at the time of writing this letter, is pastoring a church, and he might not even be 30 yet. And in ancient culture, you know, some places you weren't considered mature until you were 40. Um, so given him the the advantage of being past 25, uh, I, I dare say that young guys really can lead if they're mature. If you don't watch it, if you hold back from pursuing God's will for your life because you're too young, the day will come when suddenly people will be telling you you're too old. I mean, I remember there was a time when I was told I was too young, and and now for a lot of things I'm considered too old. And so I think you just pursue God's will with all your heart and try to be mature as he enables you. He says, let no one despise your youth or your youthfulness or your newness. Uh, the word therefore despise means to think, think against or to disesteem. Don't be held back by people possibly looking down on you because you're a young man. Don't do that. Don't receive it. I don't think he was saying punch them in the nose, but just don't don't believe it. Sometimes in our youth we feel inferior, and I don't think that's God's desire for anybody, that we are who we are by his grace. But even though you're young, you need to, do this, but be an example. Uh, some young men have all the answers, but it's not, you don't see them in their life. They can tell you a lot of stuff. They know it all, you know. Uh, if you, you know, if you, if you want all the answers to, the, to life, talk to a 12-year-old. They'll give them to you. Um, the word there, example, means model. Be a model or a sampler to the believers, to those who might be tempted to wonder about you because you're a young man. Go ahead and be a man of God. And then he lists six things here, in word, conduct, love, spirit, faith, and purity. I'd like for us, just for the next few minutes, to talk about those six things. Uh, don't let anyone despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word. The word there is, is the word for word. It's the word logos, which refers to words, thoughts, reasoning, the way you speak. Uh, if we're going to be leaders, the things we say must carry weight. Uh, if you can't say nothing good, sometimes it's best not to say anything. Unless somebody's life's in danger, then you've got to get out of the way. You're going to get ran over. 
So be an example in the things you say and in the things you do. In the word, uh, in the gospel, sometimes it's called the word, or is that just, is the gospels, the words, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Be in the word, or what? Mm -hmm. You think that was true back then too? I think yeah. so. Um, I think probably in his case, he's going to get into the word, into the, what he calls the doctrine. Mm -hmm. And so that's probably specifically speaking of the Word of God. But here, the example in his words, I think, is what he's saying, and in his conduct. So the things you say and the things you do are very important as a leader. The word conduct speaks of our actions, our behavior, our lifestyle. It's uh, who we are when people are looking and who we are when no one's looking. It's it's the character of a man that makes him. Um, so be an example in word and deed, in words and conduct, and in love. The word there is agape or agape, the highest form of love. It's sacrificial and unconditional if it's from God. So we don't just speak right and behave right, but we treat others kindly. Some people speak right, they behave right, boy, they don't cross any lines and they don't leave any leave any T's uncrossed or any I's undotted, but man, they put it on other people. And uh it can be really unloving and cruel and judgmental, and that's not good for a leader, especially for a young leader. Um it is interesting that the the word for love, agape, in the King James is is uh, translated as charity. Charity is a word we use in, in how we treat poor people. God cares about how we care for the poor. And so as a young leader, we've got to care for people poorer than us. In spirit, this speaks of our disposition or our attitude. I mean, we can say everything right and do everything right but not have a good attitude. Uh, do we have a Christ-like spirit? Is our attitude one of peace? In faith, uh, are we truly trusting God? Are we relying on Christ? Sometimes we don't have all the answers, but we know who is the answer, and are we leaning on Him? Sometimes we try to do it by ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And that can lead to pressure that's not necessary. And we can lash out and use our authority in a hurtful way because we're angry. So faith can help us stay calm. And then finally, impurity, which means chastity. Um, purity in the way we live and in the way we think, the way we talk, kind of covers all that and the way we love people. As a leader, we don't want to use people. We want to serve them. You guys have any insights on those six things? I was thinking of being uh, a little louder. Pastor, Pastor Paul kind of did, I think he did a pun with how he said word and used the term word and in the letter, and uh, um, and I almost wonder if he could be kind of tied to 
tying in kind of what he had said earlier as well, where he said, faithful is the word, verse 9, and talk about Jesus. And then he talks about starting in the word with this list here, too. Mm-hmm. Example of believers in word, but kind of a, as a pun. Saying, yeah. hey, I'm not faithful. God counted me faithful to go do the ministry, but faithful is the word, which he reinforces over and over again. And I was getting ready to talk about about uh, teaching things and starting out, and then the first thing it brings up is inward and indeed, and trying to I, yeah, I see I see kind of what could be a bigger meaning with everything, not only in word but in Jesus, and moving on from there. Well, Christ is so aligned with with. God's word, he is God's word. And as his representatives, our word needs to. That's good. Somebody else? My Bible is the NIV. Yeah, the NIV. Word. And uh, it leads out spirit. And uh, it, it says, uh, it's, it's the first one is speech instead of words. Okay. And it uses in life instead of conduct. Okay. And it does love, faith, and purity. Yeah, some of the older manuscripts uh, don't have spirit in there. But generally, the NIV will mention things like that. In yeah. the, does it mention it later it in the column? Input, no. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Which translation is this? New King James. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was raised with King James, and so New King James speaks to me because it still seems like. God's word, but I like to read other translations because it keeps it fresh. Oh, wow. All right, and then verse thirteen: "Till I come." He's not saying, you know, be an example to, to believers till I get there. No, he's saying, "Till I come, here's what I want you to do." Because I'm coming, but till I get there, give attention. That is, focus on these things. And he lists three things to reading, exhortation, and doctrine. Obviously, reading is important. We read in private. But think of the people of that day, many of whom could not afford any part of the Bible. Uh, the New Testament wasn't, wasn't completed yet. There weren't printing presses around, so copies of the scriptures were very expensive, and so uh, the synagogues would all you know, have copies of the Old Testament text. And uh, so the public reading of scripture was very important. Our more liturgical churches have the Old Testament reading every Sunday and the New Testament reading. That's not just a tradition to be disregarded. That's really to be honored because... You consider centuries ago when people didn't have a copy of the scriptures or people couldn't read, here they were given an opportunity every time the body comes together to hear the reading of the scriptures. Kind of like what we're doing now. We're reading the scriptures and then we're talking about it. So he's got to do that. And so I think that's important for us as leaders. We can't get away from the scripture. We may have good ideas to preach. Uh, good truths to convey, good illustrations, good testimonies. But the foundation to it all is the scriptures. And so we not only need to read them in private, obviously, but there's a place 
for reading the scriptures publicly. It really is. And if you're a good reader, that's a real benefit. And you can learn to be a good reader, a good public reader. I'm not saying I've arrived in that area, but it's important. Yes, Tom. In Romans, it tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But it tells us to be listening to the word. Because there's a lot of people who couldn't, that yeah. weren't literate back then. Yeah. There's a lot of people that weren't literate until the 19th century. Yeah. You know, even during the Dark Ages and everything else in Europe. But, you know, God tells us that our faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word in Romans 10. Yeah. And it's... Uh, Good. And this, this reinforces, give attention to reading. Give attention to you're, reading. Receiving the faith when you're reading. Reading the scripture mm-hmm. is important. And don't stop there. And then exhortation, which is preaching the scripture. It's pericalesis. It's calling alongside or calling up. Based on what we've heard, let me exhort you. Pay attention to reading. (laughs) Exhort. So there's the reading, then there's the preaching. And then there's the teaching. So to reading, to exhortation or preaching, to doctrine or teaching. A lot of people see doctrine as a bad word, probably because of all the traditions that get mixed in to people's understanding of the scriptures, and it's almost like man-made uh, traditions trump the scriptures. And in some people's minds, they do. We don't care if it's in the Bible; it's not Baptist, you know, that kind of thing. Our traditions can't trump the scriptures. The scriptures supersede it all, and then based on what the scriptures say, we preach. And we teach. The word doctrine means teaching or instruction. You see the importance of these three things, preaching, teaching, and reading of the scriptures. Uh, It's my heart that we do that every time we meet as a group, if it's a spiritual meeting at all. Obviously, there may be a place to, you know, go bowling or something, but um, we're together. There's a place for the reading and hearing of the scripture and teaching the scripture, and even preaching scripture, even exhorting one another based on what we're hearing said. Any insights on those three things? You see the pattern that Paul was laying down that still practiced centuries later? <laughs> yeah, I'm seeing a pattern from when I was studying for the my turn a couple weeks back, yeah. uh, three or four weeks back and a reflection of how we can see uh, the Trinity in what Paul was teaching about building with the foundation and that monolithic pillar Mm -hmm. as Jesus holding everything together and Holy Spirit building it out. He's finishing it. Oh, man. Oh, my gosh, it's incredible. It's incredible. But now I see another reflection with that with these. I see teaching, laying the foundation, And then exhortation. This is what Jesus did. Live like him. Teaching people. Live like him. Yeah. And doctrine. Framing us all together to see another reflection of that. Yeah. But it makes me wonder if, you know, I mean, maybe I've looked too far into it or maybe the Lord's just trying to show me something or maybe maybe Pastor Paul intended it that way to have, I mean, they would have had, people would have been so expensive. They would have been packing letters really tight and trying to get ideas as tight together as they could before they can send something off. 
boy, you know, I, I wonder how far he had intended, or if it's one of those things where, like, you know, he's writing under influence of the Holy Spirit, not even putting things together as much as, but just flowing with the Spirit later in life, like, wow, I actually wrote that. <laughs> you know? That's good. I mean, that yeah. happens to me, like, yeah. you know, God has me saying something, like, oh, that was good. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of see it like this. The reading of the scripture is foundational for our growth. But if all we have is preaching or all we have is teaching, we don't have the whole thing. If all you have is teaching, then you increase in knowledge, you swell up, but you don't grow up. And if all you have is preaching and there's no teaching, uh, you don't grow up, you just blow up. But the two together, you grow up on the foundation of the reading of the scriptures with preaching and teaching. We grow up. It's important to have content. Uh, Some churches are so fired up on preaching, it really doesn't matter what the preacher says. It's all about the tone of his voice and the volume of the PA system. And, you know, they're about an inch deep there. But other churches can be so deep into the intricacies of the word, you know, in the third level of the seventh cycle of the movement of the mark of the beast, you know, kind of deal, and miss the whole point, what should we then do as a result of that, you know? We need we need both. And so um, I, I just really like this particular passage we're looking at tonight. Verse 14, do not neglect... That, in other words, don't be careless about this or regard as something not to be esteemed. Do not neglect the gift. That's the word charisma, which is a spiritual endowment. The gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy. Um, it's believed by most commentaries that this happened when he was ordained because it said, with the laying on of hands of the eldership or the plurality of elders laid hands on you and you in recognizing of your gift this prophetic word was given based on that so it's not like prophecy gives gifts but it's I believe he was not to neglect the gift that was recognized by the gift of prophecy so you could it actually would not do damage to the translation to say do not neglect the gift that is in you which was given to you with prophecy, with the laying on of hands of the presbytery or the presbyters, the eldership. Um, he mentioned this earlier in the book. I put it there on the right side of the column, First Timothy 1, verse 18. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies, plural, previously, previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, with some having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. And so, I just want to talk a little bit about prophecy. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, He who prophesies speak edification, exhortation, and comfort. So an exhortation is calling up, you know, 
encouraging strongly. Edification is building up, which is also encouraging strongly. Comfort is calming down. So build up, call up, calm down, which is also very encouraging. And so in view of your calling, prophecy exhorts and edifies and comforts. You know, don't be afraid. God's going to be with you. But don't be dismayed. He's calling you to do something you wouldn't do on your own. And uh, don't get out of step. you got to get moving in this direction. Start preparing yourself for the future God has for you. And so it's not foretelling or predicting so much as it is foretelling or, or uh, helping one to be in position to fulfilling the will of God in their life. Once in a great while, we'll have a guest speaker come who will give someone a word of prophecy or sometimes more than someone. But oftentimes on Sunday morning when we have pray, people pray over one another. Sometimes while someone's praying for somebody, this, this inspiration comes to them. Obviously, it all has to be judged and make sure it's not in violation of the Scripture. And the person will speak forth words of encouragement. It's not spooky or weird. It's it's normal, encouraging, calling forth the destiny of God in people's lives for them to pursue it. And that often happens here on Sunday mornings uh, through the body of Christ ministering to itself. So here's what he said. Um, According to the prophecies made concerning you, that by them you may wage good warfare. We'll talk about how to do that, but we'll tell about what it is. What is good warfare? Obviously, it's fighting the good fight according to God's rules of warfare. Because we live in a world dealing with our own flesh, dealing with other people's flesh, and dealing with principalities and powers. The enemy may try to get in our way and prevent us from doing God's will. Hit us with fear or nightmares or whatever. So, these prophecies, these words of encouragement that we've received, I think the most powerful prophecies are the ones that confirm what God has already put in your heart. Because as children of God, we all can hear his voice. He said, my sheep hear my voice. So if somebody brings you a word of prophecy, and it's the first, you, first time you ever heard of it or thought of it, you, you need to wait and don't just move out and do it because he said that, you know. Or she said that. Well, I sold my home. Now what do I do? The prophecy told me to. Well, if you weren't already being impressed to sell your home, you need to wait. Because God confirms what he's saying to you. So we have to judge prophecy. So here in Waging a Good Warfare, you want to make sure it's a prophecy that confirms what's in your heart and is in alignment with the scriptures. You know, if you think God's telling you to leave your spouse, well, the scriptures don't say that, so you better not. Better not trust that. That may be a, a, a word from your own flesh or from the enemy or somebody else's flesh. So wage good warfare and having two things, faith and a good conscience. I think the fulfillment of prophecy is based on those two things. Faith, you've got to trust God. You may think the Lord spoke to you. It may have been confirmed by prophecy, and then all hell comes against you. And if you give up, that word may not come to pass because we wage warfare with our prophecies in faith. 
But it doesn't stop there. We, it, how we live is important, too, because prophecy is often conditional. You know, let's say, you know, you're impressed to go plant a church, but um, you're behind on all your bills, and it's eating, eating at your conscience. And you're going to go plant a church and go knock on doors, and while you're talking to somebody about your church, the repo man's out front hauling your truck off or your car off. You know what I mean? There's some things that have to be put in order for the prophecies to come to pass. And so in waging a good warfare, we make sure our conscience is clean and our faith is strong. Um, that doesn't mean if you're not there right now, it doesn't mean those prophecies aren't from God. May they propel you onward to get things in order that need to be in order. And may they propel you onward when it looks like God didn't say it, <laughs> but you know he did. That makes sense? And so he returns from that point back to it again, to not neglect the gift that is in him by prophecy. Uh, what is that gift? It was a gift to, to uh, oversee a congregation. That was what God called him to do. And so he is saying, look, you can do this. Just keep your word, your conduct, your love, your spirit, your faith, and your purity in order. And don't neglect reading the scriptures and preaching and teaching. Sometimes uh, as a leader, you may think we're not doing what we need to do. We need to clean up this act here. And uh, people still need to be fed the word of God, right? So any church isn't perfect. If it was perfect, don't join it because then it will become imperfect. So uh, a congregation has all sorts of issues going on, but if they remain faithful to the reading of the scriptures and preaching and teaching, God will grow them and enable them to do great things for him. And the same thing works for us. If we pay attention to God's word in our, in our hearts and we receive exhortations and teachings, we will grow. We, we just will because the word of God confronts us. My own son, first year of his marriage, thought they could do it by living a perpetual honeymoon and not go to church. After about a year, they're about to kill each other. They called the vet nine, invited them to their home, and begged us to get in the middle of their business. I don't recommend you ever get in the middle of your children's marriage issues. It's really hard to be objective. But in, in this case, we were able to be objective. We got up in all their business and helped them straighten things out. At the end of that night, they repented for not going to church. The next day, they, uh, two days later, they got up on Sunday morning early and found a church, went in, and it was like the service was tailor-made for them. And they repented, and here we are eight years later. He's now the worship pastor at that church, that very church. Their marriage got restored, and then they grew. And each week they're getting their, their selfishness confronted. The Word of God will confront your selfishness. It just will. Because let's face it, we're all natural-born narcissists. We just are. The Word of God comes against that. He parents us. He deals with us. He works with us. And so it will bless our homes, our ministries, our business, all these things. So he's back to the text. Any insights before we go on to verse 15? Okay, verse 15. 
meditate on these things, which is what we've been doing here tonight, thinking about it. The word meditate means to revolve in your mind. It literally means in the Old English to ruminate. You know what ruminate is? That's what cows do when they chew their cud. Apparently goats do it, and I think rabbits do it. I'm not sure, but ruminants are animals that re-chew their food. And so when we receive the Word of God and we think about it, we've heard it read, we've read it, we've, we've exhorted it and been exhorted and been taught, but then we think about it. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them. This is it. Don't run off looking for some other, you know, keys to God's spiritual success for you. He's got it right here. So think about it. Give yourself entirely to them, and then here's what will happen. That your progress or your advancement or your profiting may be evident to all. I'm preaching to myself here tonight as much as anything. Our progress is seen by everyone if we are faithful in reading, teaching, and exhortation. Take heed to yourself. Pay attention to yourself and to the teaching. Sometimes as teachers, we get all focused in the in our teaching and revelations and the things we understand, and we're neglecting ourselves. Where are we at in alignment with what the Word of God is saying here? The most dangerous member of any church is the pastor. The most dangerous person in this congregation was Timothy. So he's got to take heed to himself. Pay attention to himself. Don't get all carried away in methods. It's all about where he was at and to the teaching to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Now, let's think about that for a minute. Obviously, only Jesus saves from sin. But the Greek word for save is the word sozo, which means a whole lot. Everything from healing to prosperity. But basically, the bottom line to salvation is to be made whole. If you give yourself to all this and you're faithful at it, you're going to be whole, and so will those who listen to you. Spiritually healthy, the way I see it. Does that make sense? Any insights? Sunday, you were preaching the Sunday service and mm-hmm. and that and that and, and that morning I'd come in and I had from last Wednesday through Saturday I had discovered it had been revealed to me or it hit my only brain cell that was working that there was a sin that was in my life wasn't going out and doing it. It was just there. And I had never realized it was just there. And it's like, um, okay, well, 
it's obviously my life. I'm responsible for it being here. I'm also responsible for going and repenting to have it forgiven and taken away. And so that morning, Sunday morning, I came in to repent and take communion, which I did, not knowing we were going to have communion. (laughs) I did that, and I was over by myself and came in, and and it comes back to take heed of yourself Mm. is the point, and to the teaching. And then so when you were going through Colossians 3 and all the verses, and I'm sitting there in the congregation, it's like, okay, he's teaching. We're doing this again. <laughs> you know, going through, and, and very well done. And like, okay, if if for any reason my repentance wasn't complete and whole 40 minutes ago, Lord, it is it is now. <laughs> mm. And we took, you know, we took all also communion in that and um, and I I, received, I accepted the forgiveness from Christ and it's been a, a, the last three days have been completely different than the last weeks because I didn't realize there was I was under, I didn't know I didn't know so I was completely blind to this thing that it was there and no one had pointed out to me until Saturday sometime it's like um um, that's a sin. <laughs> so in me, that is a sin. I gotta go repent. That comes from the teaching and mm-hmm. not neglecting ourselves. That's good. And taking heed of ourselves to conform to the to the teachings and to the exhortation and to the word and to conduct ourselves properly, which is when we know that it's there. Do what's necessary to get rid of it. Yeah. And and, and seek, you know, uh, salvation is where it comes to mind, but, you know, <clears throat> being made whole again uh, in Christ so that there's not, a, that, that I don't have a deficit in there. And uh, for this coming is more confirmation of this past week and Sunday. And, uh, Good. So, yeah. yeah, makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Well, sometimes the spiritual leaders can can be functioning in exhortation and doctrine and reading, and, you know, doing spiritual things and encouraging people and neglecting themselves. Not that we want to become selfish at it, but there is a place for just getting away by yourself for a day or two. It really is. You're able to do that. Do it. Might be, might be in your own house, but spend time with the Lord as to where you are with Him. Because the needs of people is never ending. Jesus said, "The poor you always have with you," which I think He wasn't pronouncing a curse of poverty on people, but that uh, they're the ones that need ministry. Poor people, the sick need the physician. The guy's rolling in the millions. He doesn't even want to talk to you. So if the poor are always going to be with us, that's that's people we're ministering to. They'll always be with us. What did Adam lose in the garden when he sinned? He lost the relationship to God. Yes, personal, yeah. All of us are spiritually poor. Yeah. That's part of the curse that we inherited, is that we're poor in the spirit relationship to God. Yeah. Yeah, the temptation to eat that fruit... 
was an invitation to be like God so they could be independent of God. If I have the knowledge of good and evil, then I'll be like God. And then I can do what I want. 